0: Well, hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Conversations. I'm super excited to jump into this week's topic. T- this week, we're going to be doing a Q and hey, I'm super excited to really answer some questions. I put a poll up on my Instagram maybe a week and a half ago. Got a bunch of different questions in and really consolidated them into 10 basic questions that I believe uh, are going to help you and serve you in some sort of capacity. I believe that A lot of these are centered towards ministry. A lot of them are centered towards like the business, entrepreneurship, like organizational leadership stuff. But I do believe that it will be applicable to you regardless of your context. Really, we're just going to jump in. I'm super thankful for everyone who sent in questions. Although we did not get to all of the questions, I do believe we responded to everybody. There's a little lesson in that for everyone. We just had a conversation with Caleb. Last week, we talked about answering DMs and comments, and as people who create content online, how imperative it is to answer. Like Your whole whole job is to facilitate community and connection through online content. I believe it's our responsibility and mandate to respond. So we're going to jump in. I'm really excited, and thank you so much for listening. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening or you're watching it on YouTube, thank you so much. Seriously, so... Uh bewildering to me that people are listening to our content that we curate for you. So let's jump in, Michael. Share a story or offer advice on communication. So Michael's asking about communication. So communication, I believe, if you want to define it, just one word, connection. A lot of people talk, a lot of people scream, a lot of people yell, a lot of people whisper. That doesn't mean that they're actually connecting. So my advice to anyone seeking. To be a communicator is somebody who is seeking to connect. You need to learn how to connect with one person over coffee. You need to be able to connect with one person over a phone call or a FaceTime or through even online content. Again, communication is connection. Your your level of effectiveness will only go as to level of the your ability to be able to connect with who you're communicating to. So super practically love people more than communication love people more than preaching love people more than your giftings I believe that there are so many people who are gifted especially in the body of Christ in the church they're so gifted they're great gifted communicators but their motive is wrong so when we seek the right motive when our when our heart is in the place of servanthood our place of Man, I'm just going to give it my all because I know that there's somebody in this room or somebody on this podcast, somebody on this whatever that truly needs the the things that I've soaked in. And my ability to connect with them is going to be the level of effectiveness of communication. I hope that helps. Uh, a funny story anyways, I started communicating when I was, I think, 16 or 17. And my youth pastor just kind of threw me on on a Wednesday night in front of my peers. And something that I had to figure out real quick was knowing my audience. So I didn't talk above them because I, the, I was the same age as them. I had no like depth of knowledge that was more than them. I truly was just a, another person. So knowing who your audience is and be able to connect with them through vulnerability, through storytelling, through stuff that you've truly processed and soaked in, not just regurgitated. is super, super helpful because I'm sure I sounded like an idiot, but that's all right. Sarah, let's go. Preaching responsibilities and leadership tasks. What should I do and how do I not feel overwhelmed? So what I'm assuming you're saying is you are communicating a lot and you have practical staff stuff or team stuff. It all comes down to your disciplines and priorities. So I would assume if you're consistently communicating, Sarah, your responsibility is, one, whatever God is telling you to do, whenever, two, whatever's on your position description. And if you're the main leader, if you're the CEO, if you're the lead pastor, or you and your husband are leading a church, I think I know who you are, you guys are leading a church, I I would say, how quickly can you get to the place of delegating the things that are taking the most amount of time out of your week? but giving the, the least amount of results within your organization. So you said there's a lot of leadership tasks. I guarantee you there are people within your organization who would love to take them and they would love to take ownership. So m- my recommendation to you, because you said you're feeling overwhelmed, we feel overwhelmed because we care. Let's just say that. Like People who don't feel anything, that's scary. When you're numb as a communicator, when you're numb as a leader, That's obviously a dangerous place. So you're feeling overwhelmed because you care so much, and you're you're in a stretching season. So your capacity is being stretched to a place where obviously you're you're experiencing the fruit of that, which is being overwhelmed. So preaching responsibilities and leadership tasks again. There's a season for everything, and I understand that you guys are like in the beginning phases. It is going to be a lot. It's going to be a lot, and. We can't just bank off of our gifting, and I said that in the first question, just talking about gifting because I've just been processing it a lot, but you just can't bank on your gifting. I heard this yesterday from a a great leader. He said, "We're gonna play. We're gonna practice. So for you, you need to be able to rehearse and practice the things that you're communicating. You need to create space for what God is speaking to you. So as much, boundaries as you can set around that and whatever your primary primary responsibility is put your energy and efforts towards. That I hope that helps Alex. How do you maintain continuous learning? How do you maintain continuous learning? That's a great question. I believe leaders are learners. You've heard that a thousand times. But the, the reality is is I never get to the place where I believe I know everything about everything. Even everything about something, even one specific subject, even Obviously, I talk a lot about leadership or I talk a lot about church organizational growth and strategies and all that stuff. I'm never not learning. And the idea of learning is you're just trying to soak in information. Even if you are an expert, you can still learn. Even the things that you might have already known, hearing it from somebody else might help you grow in that place. So how do I maintain it? Honestly, it all comes down to your disciplines. It all comes down to what you value. And just know you're not always gonna be excited about learning. You're not always gonna be excited about reading a book or listening to a podcast or sitting and paying for coaching or mentorship or whatever. But the reality is, is I know my level of learning is the lid of anything that I'm a part of because I believe I'm an agent of change, which you are too, Alex. So you maintain continuous learning because you know your learning is attached to the growth of your organization. Whenever you stop learning, you stop growing. Whenever you stop growing, your team stops growing because you are a part of that team and you're the linchpin. You're only as strongest as your weakest link and we cannot afford to stop growing. We can't. We can't, we can't, we can't afford it because there's people who are in our cities. There's people in our, our families and our workplaces that are hurting and broken and need a uh, piece of advice that might, maybe they need a friend or they need a, a new system in place for their organization because they're struggling. And you, we just the question right before you, they just asked, "Hey, how do I how do I delegate leadership responsibilities when somebody's continually learning?" Alex, you could say, "Hey, I'm learning about this. I would love to take ownership of this. So how do you maintain it? You maintain it through discipline. You may maintain it through having a, a solid why in place, a foundation of understanding." Man, my level of learning and intentionality will be the level of growth that I'm a part of. So Jessica says, struggles with practical application of her pastor's vision. Ooh, that's a fun one. So you're struggling with practical application of your pastor's vision. Okay. So Jessica, one, you got you to gotta know what the vision is. So we always hear this, have a vision, make it plain and write it down. That's that's the three steps of a vision. It, you just got to get one, number one. So your pastor has to have a vision. Number two, they got to make it practical and they got to write it down. They got to put it down on paper. They got to put it in your org chart your, or your documents and all that type of stuff. But all that to say, if you're struggling to to hear what your pastor is saying and put it into practical terms, there's obviously a communication disconnect. And I believe the best thing we can do when our, when our pastors are in a place where they're communicating and we're not we're not understanding what they're saying or we're not we're not understanding where they want to go because that's all vision is right is hey this is where we're going mission is how we get there so you're saying you're struggling with just the application of the vision so you're saying you're struggling with the mission you're struggling with how do I get my pastor's vision forward how do I take what he's communicating and grab a hold of it and make it practical for the people you're leading, or maybe just yourself. I don't. I don't know your role. I don't know. I yeah. I have no context of what you're what you're asking or your situation. But I do know our ability to communicate a vision and make it practical and help people see themselves in that vision is actually most of the time where the linchpin is, is when the the person is communicating something. That doesn't practically make sense. It doesn't, and again, it doesn't have to make sense. That that's vision. Vision, vision what fuels an organization. Vision is what fuels a team forward. And I love that you're you're trying to figure out how to apply what your pastor is saying. So I would say, go to your pastor and say, Hey, Pastor, I love what God's put in you. I love that He's put a vision in your heart. I want to do whatever it takes. To push that forward, what can I do today to help you move that vision forward so make it practical ask them what you can do for the vision maybe it's showing up early and helping maybe it's taking off weight of somebody else because they're they're tired or they need a break or whatever again just ask and I, I I can't assume that I know what my wife needs for me. I can't just assume and I can't just assume there are things that I've learned over the years of us being married that I would go proactively. I don't have to ask to do this. I don't have to ask her about certain things that I know that she enjoys or loves. But there are times where I just need, hey, what practically can I do to serve you this week? Similar, Jessica, you asking your pastor, hey, what, can I do practically this week to serve the mission of our house or this season of our our church, whatever it is, whatever context, but it always goes down to you asking your pastor what you can do and not putting the blame on them because we're not playing the blame game. We're taking ownership and responsibility. So David, so marriages in their church are struggling. Okay. I'm assuming you're saying, hey, yeah, you said church leadership. Okay. So there's there's a couple or a couple couples in your Church leadership, the people who are leading in your church who are struggling. Yeah. I mean, welcome to, I don't want to like, I don't want to dismiss this, but welcome to the club. Every church has, has marriages that are struggling. Every, every city, every town, every neighborhood block has a marriage that is struggling. And I, I don't know the context. So it's really hard to answer a very general question like that about marriages that are struggling. And I'm not a marriage expert at all. But I am understanding that you're asking. So I want to do my best to give you my observation. I I would say, as a pastor, our responsibility 90% of the time is just to create space and listen. The best pastors that I've been on FaceTime with, that I've interacted with, that I've led with are people who ask the best questions. You want to be the best pastor you can ever be? Ask the best questions. And if you don't know how to ask questions, One, observe the person of Jesus through the four Gospels. He always asks the best questions, and he always has an agenda behind the question. He's always taking them somewhere. As pastors, we need to be taking people somewhere. We can't just be asking them questions that are helping or there's no wisdom attached to it, which always always goes back to prayer, obviously. Are we praying for our people before we have a conversation with them? Are we praying for them? Not even when we have conversations, just persistently. The people who are struggling in our church need our prayers. So when you're when you're saying there's couples in your church who are struggling, it always goes back to, man, how can I create space for them to enjoy each other, but also have a place where they're being heard, where they're they feel safe. Yes. And again, those are things that it's our responsibility to facilitate, man. I want to create a space where a couple can come in and feel safe in my home. I want a place where they can come in and let their guard down and let their walls down. And, and knowing that I can't fix you, I can't do anything. I I'm just as messed up as you are. And it's my responsibility to, again, like I said, the way Jesus asked questions is he always obviously gave them a prompt, but you always knew he was taking them somewhere. Like you go back to Adam and Eve and God in the garden God says, Adam, where are you? He knew where he was, but there was a sentiment behind the question of saying, where are you? He just wanted a response because, again, Adam lost where he was, right? He was hiding. So for us, we need to be able to ask the right question. There's a great book called Tell Me More. I forgot the author, but I read it last year. It just really helps with going to those third, fourth, fifth layer questions. I hope that helps. Rachel, our team feels stuck. How do we get out of this? If your team feels stuck, I kind of said it earlier about learning. But if a team feels stuck, if you're if you're in a place where you're not seeing growth, maybe numerically, no one's being added to team, or your your team culture or just your just overall sense of the team is just like bleh. I would always go back to this. One, it's gonna happen. Like people, it's not always sunshine and rainbows. What we're doing, one, there's a lot of weight to ministry that I don't feel like people understand. It's not just cute Instagram worthy stuff. Like you're dealing with real people with real pain, with real burdens, with real struggles, with real great things that are happening and all of that put into context of now you're responsible for that and you're responsible for the development of people being more like the creator of the universe. Like there there obviously is a lot of weight to that. So one like again, welcome to the club. There are times where you will feel stuck. There are times where you feel like you're banging your head against a wall. And I would always attach this to a lid, right? Like you're you said that you're stuck. You're you're hitting a ceiling. Every time you your head hits a ceiling, like your team hits a ceiling, there's always a pain of change. And it's our responsibility as leaders to help them be aware of the pain of change that, hey, there is going to be pain attached to your growth. You, we've heard this a thousand times and I, I don't necessarily fully agree with the context. I'll kind of share why, but it's like stretch goes strength, right? If you want to grow, you got to stretch. And after you work out, you feel sore. After you are sore, if you do the proper rehab, then you will grow stronger, I would always implement stretch, grow, rest, strength. I think that is the four steps to going to your next level. So every time you want to go to your next level, including your team as a, as a unit, it's always attached to a relationship. It's always attached to a person and it's always attached to freshness. Like how do we get freshness in our team? How do we get a new word from God? How do we get a new vision and maybe if we don't need a new vision we need to we need to go back to the vision and go back to where we were most of the time when teams feel stuck or they're hitting a lid the leader is not painting the picture anymore or their leader is chewing on stuff and not communicating again where we're going so if your team feels stuck how do you get out of this you get out of this by being consistent and understanding that you won't be stuck forever you're not going to be stuck forever though. The person who's stuck forever is the person who just quits. So if you keep going, keep understanding and keep writing down your why, like Rachel, you need to be writing down your why and you need to be helping your team. I don't even know what, t- I don't know what team you lead. You could be leading a content team of three or a staff of 200. That's why some of these questions are hard for me to just give a, a blanket answer. But I would say your leadership lid is always attached to the level of learning that you're willing to press into, and a person that might be the lid and sometimes we are the lid, by the way. we the leader is always the lid to the organization. You will never grow past your leader. Your leader is the linchpin. So for us, we need to take inventory of our hearts, we need to take inventory of our souls and understand, man, if my team feels stuck, is it because of me? And if it's because of me, How do I go to my next level or how do I get out of the way and help people grow? Because it's not about me. Leading a team, especially in the church, it's not about you. It's never been about you. It's never and it never will be. And the the times where it is are the times where you will see a decline or you'll see teams truly not go all in. So Daniel's saying, talk about leadership styles and adapting this with the people you lead. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many different leadership styles. Obviously, there are so many personality tests. There are so many ways that we try to categorize humanity. And again, we're all so different. We're all uniquely designed. So it's always interesting when we try to box into styles. But I would say that you're, you're I, I tend to always just understand the Enneagram more than anything and strength finders. So it all goes back to self awareness. So are you a self aware leader? Do you know you? And if you don't, how do you get to know you? So you got to understand, you got to really dissect who you are as a person, who you are as a leader, the things that you care about, the things that you value, the things that as a as a mission-oriented organization like a church, what are the things that we're going to prioritize and what are the things that we're just not going to spend our energy on? So when you say adapting this with the people you lead, I honestly... I don't know. I think there are moments in our lives where we feel like we need to change who we are in specific rooms to fit in. And I would beg to differ. I would say, man, I don't think we're supposed to adapt our personalities to fit in. I think our personalities are submitted to the person of Jesus. And we know that a personality doesn't sell the vision. It might for six months, like charisma. Let's just talk about charisma. Charisma is great but it it's doesn't carry as much weight as you would imagine charisma is great but it doesn't equal up to integrity it doesn't equal up to trust it doesn't equal up to respect so there are things in authority so there are there are styles again that we're not committed to if you think about the 7s framework style is the entry level we're not committed I'm not married to style there are things that I'm designed with like I'm a I'm a natural confrontational person. So I, in my beginning years of leadership, ran through people left and right. I was rude. I was abrasive. And I I cared more about the outcome than the journey with the people I was doing it with. Me as a person, and I've also been around people who are very anti-confrontation. They're very fearful of confronting a person or sharing their thoughts at the table. And they have to go through a journey of understanding that their voice matters and that God designed them to see things and observe things that I necessarily wouldn't see because I'm so focused on the outcome. So you just got to understand yourself. You got to understand your your triggers. You got to understand the things that you are going to care about. And you got to be able to make sure that the right people are on the bus to understand this is my leader. And these are the things that he cares about. He cares about excellence. So if you're a person who cares about excellence, just know if somebody's on your team and they don't prioritize excellence, yeah, there's going to be problems. And you got to make the decision if you're willing to adapt, if you're willing to let that go, or it's such a level of a value in your life that you're, you're going, I'm not willing to waver on this. Those are the things that I believe shape a team. So you got to have two buckets. You got to have majors. You got to have minors. These are the majors. These are the things that I'm not willing to give up on and not willing to not put my energy to And then minors, these are the things that are just not that big of a deal and understand that your your leadership style, your personality are all submitted to Jesus. So when your personality is submitted to Jesus, when the way you communicate is submitted to Jesus, the way you talk to people and the way you lead people is submitted to Jesus, I believe you will do just fine. Last couple questions here. Lauren, what do you look for in a future leader in the church? Yeah. I, I'm a big people watcher, Lauren. So during church, when you're in the lobby, when you're in the worship setting, when you're in the sanctuary and you're leading worship or the, somebody's leading MC, look around the room, like look for people who are looking and somebody who is observing the room, somebody who is looking at things in your, in your lobbies. I'm going to make it super practical. Then we can go more like philosophical and, in like heart stuff, but I would always say, man, I'm looking for people who are looking. And again, what I'm saying is the person in the lobby, they're looking at details. They see things that nobody else is looking for. And they might have opinions. And I I love people with opinions because most of the time, if they can move their opinion into a priority for them wanting to produce change, then I'm all in. Like, man, I, I see you looking at the the merch layout and their heads kind of twisted or they're looking. It's not because they just like merch. It's because they see something that most people don't see. And I want to know what they see. A leader is always willing to hear what somebody is seeing. It doesn't always have to be right, right? It's like a perspective or a perception of the reality. So they're saying, man, I see something. I want to know what they see because what if they see something that I don't? That's somebody that I want on my team. So you, that's a future leader. A future leader is somebody who's always observing. they're always seeing things that people don't see. They're, and they have so many opinions and that's great. We love we love somebody with opinions, but opinions don't build church. Opinions don't build teams. opinions don't build leaders. What we do with those opinions and we produce change in and, and, and a connection with somebody else that we can attach it to a person within the church man you would you you would not even understand the amount of impact that person can make if they can produce change within that opinion or what they're seeing so i'm always looking i'm looking for people who see things if they there's something on the ground and they pick it up and they throw it away if they they're on time or early man the, the it's all about the little things and we never graduate from doing the basics we never graduate from Having a conversation with somebody in the lobby that looks looks new or out of place. We never graduate from bringing our notebook or taking notes during church. You want to you want to find the best leaders in your church. Look at the people who are taking crazy notes and hungry for for what the what the preacher is saying or what the communicator is communicating. Always be looking for the people who are looking. Always be looking for the people who are on time engaged. And prepared. So, John said how to shape culture in his church. Yeah, I, I would say, John, I don't know your role, but I believe culture is shaped through the lead pastor's uh, design. I think if you want to look at a, a church, you want to look at the future of a church, look at the pastor, the pastor couple. Look at how they're wired. Your church will always look like your lead pastor, and your church will always look like your f- probably five mile radius. That's just what it's going to look like. So when when you're saying you're trying to shape it, man, I I would I would say how how are you shaping yourself? Because you are the person who is leading within that culture. You are the person who is within that, and I would assume you're serving. I would assume you're in a high level leadership position. So when you're saying shape culture, I would say be the culture. If you want to if you want to see something in other people, be it in yourself. So. When you're walking into church, are you on time? Are you there? Are the things that you're you're frustrated about? Are you already living in this solution? Again, opinions don't build church. Op- opinions don't do anything besides just distort where we're going. So when you're saying shape culture, I'm saying be the culture. If you're if you're if the worship feels heavy or it isn't what you are expecting, be the person who can walk in and be it, be it. Again, you got to go from seeing it to being it because there's so many people have so many different opinions about things and they have, man, if I was this, then I would do this. Yeah, that's great. Again, we love people who see things because those are the leaders of the house and they want to be a part of it. So when you're saying you're trying to shape culture, that's an agent of change, man. That's that's something that you got you to gotta be willing to understand that you can't shape things and also be liked by everybody. You can't shape things and understand that everyone's going to agree with you. But what you can do is understand that results and outcomes are something that I care about more than opinions or ideas. So when you're saying you want to shape it man, are you being it? Are you living in it? Or are you produce, reproducing it in other people? And they're saying, man, I I can see the results of this. And I believe that it will be impactful situation in our context. So I hope that helps you. Man, if you want to shape culture, be the culture. And we gotta we got to graduate from being an opinion and being the solution. So last question, This is one that I think I just talked about, but it'll be fun. Caden said, I'm not confrontational. How do I work on this? How do I work on confrontation? You want to work on confrontation? Be a person who cares more about the person than your feelings or what you're seeing. And you care more about the future potential of that person than where they're currently at. And again, I'm always attaching it to people. Don't attach it to things or ideas or buildings or or cool things online, attach it to a person. Man, I'm not confrontational. How do I work on this? You work on confrontation by being confrontational. You, there's just gotta be a point in your life where you care more about the future of your your team more than your current feelings or fears. And those are the things, again, we gotta, we gotta be so self-aware that we understand, man, I'm, I'm not confrontational because I, I, I want people to like me that's great. That's the first step of self-awareness. But how do we graduate from that? We understand, man, I care more about this person's future than my current feelings or fears. So again, I'm naturally a confrontational person. So I would ask Caden the opposite. I would say, man, how do I become less confrontational? Because in, like I said, in my early years, I would just run through people. I had to get around people who are nice and who are kind. I got to read books that are written by people who are not typically confrontational or they are confrontational, but they just have a different perspective on it. So I'm learning about my, my weakest link myself. So if you're not confrontational, read books on confrontation, read stories, or watch YouTube videos on people who are confrontational. And again, always attach it to the person's potential. Say man, I care more about the future version of Josh than I do in our current context. So you're willing to do it. And I would always say, man, confrontation has an expiration. I said this to a friend six months ago, and it's been so beautiful to see him develop in this. And there was a, there was a situation a couple weeks ago in a service, and the, the service was ending. And it was like 9 p.m., and he still felt like, man, I should call this person. And talk to him, hey, I saw this and, and it frustrated me. Let's walk through this together. Two years ago, he would have never done that. He would have dismissed it. And it turns into resentment if you don't have a conversation with them and, and produce a resolution. So he called them, they're super chill, not that big of a deal. And most of the time, it isn't that big of a deal. So just have the conversation, understand that you have 24 hours to call that person or meet them in person if it's that big of a deal. And if you can't call them and if you can't have a conversation with them, it's probably just your, your perception or an insecurity in yourself more than something that you've seen. But again, the, the five words that will help you in this situation is, here's what I'm seeing. Always start a confrontation with, hey, here's what I'm seeing. And when you say that, by the way, you're making it not an absolute truth. You're not, you're not putting something on them. You're not labeling them. You're just saying, here's what I'm seeing. And man, I hope that I'm wrong, but this is just what I'm seeing. Can you help me understand maybe how I'm seeing it right or wrong. When you do that, I promise you, the person will let their guard down and you guys will have a healthy confrontation. So I hope these questions helped you so much. Again, everyone who sent in questions, I believe we responded to you all on Instagram, but these are some that we believe will truly help uh, more than just the one person. But anyone who listens to this or watches this on YouTube, again, thank you so much. We'll see you next week.